from Noble Robot on East Hennepin Avenue in Enriched Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk games and game development. I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Mark LaCroix, I too make nice games. In this episode, we talk with Will Bredbeck, a self-described creative guy, to discuss his experiences as a designer, artist, and creative director. So, if everyone's ready, let's start. Uh, quick correction at the top, Ellen. Uh, I believe Will described himself as a creative dude. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. Creative dude. <laughs> Take it again. Take it again. Uh, hello, Will. Welcome to the show. Yeah, and welcome. why don't we get right into it from that angle? Um, you have a job title, but who cares, right? You describe yourself as a creative dude. Tell us a little bit about that. Tell you about being a creative dude or tell you about not really wanting to have a title? Basically, I'm just asking you to explain yourself. Yes. <laughs> However you choose. I, I'm not really into titles too much. Um, I believe we're all creative people. And I'm I'm just leaning into that. That's what I like to do. And that's what people pay me for. Nice. Yeah. Cool, cool. Um, well, tell listeners a little bit about your uh, what you're working on um, and what sort of uh, what you have been wor- have worked on to the point where you're like, I've done enough. I no longer need a title. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I think it's really helpful. Actually, I love to tell the story of my cr- creative career path mm-hmm. um, because there's there's so many. I, I teach also. Some people give me the title of professor. Uh, they, my students all find it really helpful to hear my story because a lot of them I find don't know. They don't have any idea what they want to do with their lives. And they think game design sounds really fun. So that's why they're there at that point. Um, but I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I literally knew nothing. And the twists and turns that my career path has taken yeah. Hopefully, might be interesting to someone. Sure. Yeah, sounds good. So I I, I uh, went to school for illustration. Um, I didn't even know if I wanted to to do art at all. You know, going into college, but it just sort of was always something I was good at. I graduated in for, it with in, in illustration, and this was the area era before the internet really took over. Um, mm. And so all artists' portfolios were. Not artists didn't have portfolio websites. You actually had to take your illustration uh, portfolios by hand to these different magazines and different places and drop them off for a couple of days. And somebody would look at them and then say, "We don't like your work." And then you'd have to get your portfolio and take it to someplace else. I was tra- I would, and this was all in Manhattan. I, I was living in Manhattan and traveling all over the place. I had three different portfolios that I was ferrying different all, all over sorts of different places. So I said, "What the heck? I'm traveling all over Manhattan um, and not making any money. I'm going to be a bike messenger." Hmm. <laughs> so, so while I was doing the, taking all the portfolios, I'm 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 a bike messenger. I got hit every day. I was breathing bus fumes. It was it was this really horrible experience in the rain. You can't call in sick because you've got to pay your rent. Anyway, I got into a terrible bicycle accident. Oh, goodness. <laughs> and I didn't have enough money to fix my bike. And I was going to move home with my mom. And that's the end of the story. Not really. Right. Not- <laughs> I assumed as much. Actually, uh, my friend called me and said, how would you like a job? animating on on this tv show and i i said yes (laughs) anything um and so i auditioned 
to I didn't I only took one animation class in in school, but I got the job in New Jersey working on this show called Kablam, drawing uh, Henry the Henry and June characters. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar with the show. <laughs> yeah, and within a few months, I, I was the head of the animation for Henry and June on Kablam. Oh wow! And my career, my creative career, like really took off. I was apparently not meant to be an illustrator. Uh, even though that's what I went to school for. And I, I became a, an animator uh, on, on the show. And I stayed on the show until it was eventually canceled. And then I, I got really, I was really burnt out on New York City because I'm not a very um, urban person. And I wound up with the money that I had saved up from that moving to Alaska and climbing mountains and doing oil paintings and things like that. And Eventually, the money ran out there. I came back to New York City because it was the only place I could I could find work. And I decided I really didn't want to do animation um, because I was three years. I was drawing the same those same people, Henry and June, over and over. To this day, when I am just doodling, I'll doodle Henry and June because mm. I would work 60 hours a week drawing Henry and June over and over and over again. <laughs> so the only place I could find work doing animation was video games. Hmm. And hmm. video games had this, at the time, had this really um, quick cycle. There weren't these giant AAA games. There, there were these, these little games. Um, and I started working on these Flash games for Adult Swim and Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon. Um, my first game was Head Kicker 2 with uh, Brack. <laughs> on Adult Swim, mm-hmm. and that one I'm familiar. Was all with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and that led into getting a job at Arcadium, which was a casual games company in New York, and some things that I did there that you might recognize uh, if you're a certain age. <laughs> there was a game called UB Funkies. Um, where I was the art director for, and that that went through five uh, different series. It was very successful. Um, I made all of the virtual worlds and all these these games, but it was these action figures that you'd plug into your computer, and it unlocked different worlds and games within it. And it preceded Skylanders and was really this sort of thing that was a predecessor to that. Mm. I also worked on Solitaire, Microsoft Solitaire. Uh, the purpose of Solitaire, the original 90s Solitaire, was to teach people how to use the Windows operating system. And when I was working on it, it was they were making Windows 8, which was a giant sea change in the way that people interacted with Windows. So they needed a new system uh, to teach people how to interact with the new Windows 8, which was which turned out to be just too much of a change and nobody was ready for it and everyone hated it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will say though, that one of the things that's interesting about that solitaire is it, it did do the same thing. Like people who did play it were like, this is so different than the solitaire I know. And then they, they loaded it up full screen and used their finger and suddenly like, Oh, okay. I get it now. Yeah. Yeah. It's just in the way that the original one taught people how to use a mouse. Mm-hmm. But I'm still really, I'm proud that they're still using the same artwork that we mm-hmm. made for mm-hmm. Uh, solitaire even now it's it's over 10 years and i'm not sure it might be longer than the original artwork was in the game i think it is anyway i don't know (laughs) but uh let's see what else 
Oh, we made um, a game called Twisty Hollow, which was a uh, uh, Gold Pocket Gamer award-winning um, and Starbucks game that uh, I, I was really proud of. But eventually, um, eventually, I started to question my role making these types of games and like what effect they were having on the world. And I changed to educational games. And that's what actually what I'm doing now. I'm, I'm making uh, gamified experiences and educational games uh, that, that, that try to make the world a better place. So <laughs> that's where I'm trying to devote my superpowers. Mm-hmm. And also still making comics and drawing and making paintings and things. Yeah, one of the the sort of we're sort of kindred spirits in a way because I like what I'm hearing in that background is here's all the things I did, and then it led me to doing something else where I can bring those skills rather than climbing a mountain or a, a career ladder or something. It's just mm-hmm. every so mm-hmm. often you want to do something different, and it, it I imagine it often felt like starting over. Oh yeah. You know, and that's also when I started teaching. Mm-hmm. You know, I was at Arcadium as the director of design there. You know, that was my title. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's sort of when I got burnt out on all that stuff. Um, and I started teaching at the NYU Game Center and then at Parsons School of Design, mm-hmm. um, teaching game stuff. Yes. So, you know, sort of redefining. I've, all, I've always loved helping younger designers get started you know even from from kablam and henry and june i I think my mark merrick the guy who uh came up with a lot of that stuff you know saw in me somebody who likes to nurture people so um that's that's why i i became the the head animator there Mm -hmm. well and that's a through line to your the current work you do which is that nurturing instincts if i may just draw a broad conclusion from the 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 brief story you've given uh that yeah. that kind of like workplace role is now maybe finally something you're actually producing as well does that sound right absolutely and i think uh and you know one one great thing <laughs> i i so believe in the things that i i'm working with working on i i'm really able to inspire others and to be passionate about what they do. I think everybody should be passionate about what they're doing. And I used to, um, I used to inspire my coworkers by saying, Hey, we're making fun and we're bringing fun to the world and we're making solitaire and we're, we're making things that are fun maybe that are keeping, uh, uh, older people's minds active. Um, but after a while, there's other things at play too um, that that were that I felt like I was lying to myself about. Hmm. It's it's hmm. very easy to with what I'm doing now to to justify everything I'm doing. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, well, you know, Mark, you were you were mentioning um, because if you have a similar experience in being able you know, having moved kind of maybe not laterally, but like diagonally, you're not necessarily starting over, but you're finding a new angle to approach the creative process. Um, And so I think, you know, one of the things we talk about with folks who've had similar careers is how many pivots have you done? But what we don't always get to is why did you pivot in the first place? 
And sometimes it's just, you know, a nebulous feeling. It's just time to make a change. Um, sometimes it's, you know, you're just excited by new types of problems. And what you're saying, Will, is the reason that you made your more, you know, most recent pivot perhaps was because you, you know, didn't like the way that things were necessarily shaping up in terms of the product that you were working on. And and so you yeah. found a a new a new environment with enough similarities to kind of like scratch the same itches and build on your existing skills, but different enough to kind of start a new story or a new chapter. Yeah. And who knows where the path will continue to lead. And I, I guess just to take it back to, uh, you know, junior designers and, and students that might be listening to this, you know, you just never know where it's going to go. And you also that phone call from my friend about working on Kablam, Got to be, you got to be open to to opportunities like that, um, mm -hmm. for for the pivot when it comes, you know. Yeah. That that was an unwilling pivot. That might not have been something that I would have chosen. I was sort of forced into that by a financial situation. Um, I mean, it sounded super cool, but I I didn't think I was qualified for it, and I just thought I'd try, and it it worked out, and it's it's led from one thing to another. Um, you know, a person that I worked on Kablam actually worked at the, the game studio um, where I worked, made Head Kicker 2. And I worked on a games there with this game designer who got me the job at Arcadium. And then I, I um, managed Chris Newman and all these people uh, that Ellen, we said we had worked with before, um, mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, got me the job. At the game agency, which I sort of left that part out, <laughs> but um, but yeah. uh, but that led into Everfy, where I work now, mm -hmm. and yeah, so make make connections and be open to those those pivots. Uh, I I also talking about pivots. I didn't really talk about the pivot to taking the full time job at Arcadium, which is kind of interesting. Um, I. That was a really difficult decision to make because at the time I was freelance and I was working on comics and games and my own animation and artwork and things. And it was it was really hard decision to take a full time job at a game company. Mm -hmm. But I, 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 uh, and a lot of my friends and even me like wondered like did i make the right decision there because all of a sudden i you know i was working 40 50 60 hours a week and and i was doing that for over a decade mm. um, so there wasn't a lot of creative juice left for my own yeah. artwork yeah. yeah and that's a whole other episode probably well it it dovetails <laughs> into your 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 mentioning like you should be passionate about what you do and that's a really a really easy piece of advice to hear but it's a hard one to take in right um but like you say i've had this experience when i've worked you know nine to five jobs throughout my career in media and in games that it does mean that you 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 it takes away what you're what you were doing nights and weekends which is what you thought yeah. kept you happy yeah uh, you know when you when you did odd jobs or whatever and then suddenly you have a creative uh outlet at work as part of a big machine that you were happy to be part of and certainly happy to get the paycheck for mm -hmm. and then you find yourself like 
I'm doing more creative work than ever, but I'm less creative, sat- creatively satisfied than ever. Yeah. And that is, I think that's a common thing people say. And, you know, there's no like right answer to it, right? Because there's so many competing interests and, and, uh, and concerns that you have in your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. eating mm-hmm. being one of the, the, you know, a pretty important <laughs> one. Yeah. So it's not like you, you know, the, the advice is to not make those compromises. Right, right. Um, but to be on the lookout for when you are making those compromises and know when the opportunity comes along where you, you can find a better balance because you, you won't always yeah. be weighing all those factors when thinking about opportunities in front of you. You'd be like, oh, this would be a good opportunity, but it would mean, oh, it would really mess up all these other things I've got going. And then, but you're not thinking mm-hmm. about other things that, that are what you're sort of making you consider it in the first place. Yeah. Um, which again, is not necessarily advice to always take that leap, but it, what you're saying in your mind, you want to be passionate about what you do. Um, and it's yeah easier said than done. But it's you shouldn't dismiss it as as a sort of like, ah, that's just dreamer th- thinking. We all say that. But really, is it true? It's really true. Hmm. Right. It really is. Yeah. I mean, there's so many good things that that Everfy is doing right right now. And, and it's still a business. You know, they still have to make money, but mm-hmm. somehow they're balancing um, uh, the good they're doing with making money in a way that just feels really great to me mm-hmm. and uh, i'm i'm able to while i'm not working full-time on my own creativity i do get to use my creativity for uh for things that i think are really positive and uh and i do get some time i I've, I've got more time now i feel like one thing i work remotely so no yeah. longer am I commuting from the depths of innermost Brooklyn to, you know, the middle of Manhattan for three hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've got all that time to to do stuff and be a dad and a husband. Makes sense for me right now. Yeah. yeah. Eat well, Rice Krispie bars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, and you say the next pivot may be just around the corner, right? And that's, I think that is one of the things you learn when you have a career like that is like, you not, it's like, don't ever feel like you've you're at your, your final position. Yeah. Right. Like mm-hmm. no matter how good it seems now, when you start, when you feel like, oh, this is the, finally finally figured it out. Finally, all the things are in place. Everything I've wanted. It's all work. It's all the little compromises that feel fair to me. I'm all set. It's like, well, okay. In two years, when it stops feeling that way, don't feel like it was a mistake <laughs> to have done that that pivot. Mm. Maybe that just means right. it's time for the next one, or at least time yeah. to to look out for the next one, perhaps. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The goal is not to reach some sort of like formula that leads to the, your perfect outcome that you can then sit in for the rest of your life because you won't yeah. want that. <laughs> you need change yeah. to and some degree. Yep. This is what happens when you're busy making other plans or making other games or making whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you change as a person too, right? Like in five years, it makes sense for you right now, maybe, but like in five years, you are going to be a different person and what you're doing in the moment might not work as well might not fit with you as well as it does with your current you um if that makes mm. sense <laughs> um yeah 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 um can i ask what uh what was the name of uh the company you work for now will it's called everfi which everfi, was acquired a couple of years uh or a year i don't know i'm okay. losing trust track of time by blackbaud which actually rang the um oh is ringing, ringing the stock market thing or something tomorrow morning? I don't know. Forgiving Tuesday. It's, That's it's, the right attitude to have you know, about that kind of thing. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I was going to ask, what can you describe a little bit about how what EverFi does um, for listeners? Yeah, EverFi, Fi is actually short for finance. And the, the goal of the company, it was started by these guys. They went on this road trip across the country and they saw all this uh, inequality in um, uh you know, as they went across America uh, and decided to do something about it. And they made this company to try and um, educate people who don't get financial education um, to, to, to try and reduce the wealth gap and, okay. and, you know, help people in need. And it, since then, it's really grown. They brought me on to make this uh, Learn to Read app, an early literacy app, um, and and that was WordForce. It's an app called WordForce, and specifically, it's for kids who um, were struggling with learning how to read. You know, all of these learning how to read apps out there—they're all like pastel colors and like it makes an sound. <laughs> and so, so they wanted to make something which doesn't exist for for kids who are older who had no support at home. And doesn't didn't didn't learn how to read, and but want to still be interacting with something cool. Which you know that that's that's why I took the job at EverFi. I went from the game agency to EverFi because I really believed that this was a project that I could feel passionate and get behind. Mm-hmm. So it and, sounds like the 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 remit of the company is quite broad. Then um i mean you just sort of described like the their phi is in the name and this is a big you know and on their website it's like a big pillar of that financial uh literacy but then you're saying but then there's this other this specific project which seems almost entirely out of that wheelhouse but i mean surely there's a connection but like is, that, just, does that breath uh like uh attract you or is it more like it has a oh, focus but it. then there's little like branches that that keep you sort of interested. I, I, I honestly i love the the message and, and like working on the financial stuff mm-hmm. but it would be hard for me unless they they really let me explore my creative crazy side um uh to just work on finance stuff yeah. i have done mm-hmm. a bunch of finance stuff for them but um I get to, I get to work on a whole bunch of different things, and you know that was the thing with Henry and June. I need I need to work on a whole bunch of different things. Sure. And these these uh, different apps and games and things all have a production cycle of a couple months, mm. and and that that feels really good to me. Um, I'm also you know we made a course on with the Truth Initiative about about learning the the facts about vaping and you know it's it's something that a lot of people get in high school a lot of them are getting education about but a lot of people aren't getting education about and don't know all of the the facts and truth about how how that can um get you started on uh be just as addictive as cigarettes and have have as many health situations so um I'm doing a thing on on vaping. I'm doing a thing on the opioid crisis. You know, there's a whole breadth of things that they have uh, extended uh, uh, courses into. And really, there's a bunch of companies now that are doing this sort of thing. Mm. Okay. And and I can see how um, 
uh i can kind of see how you you moved on to 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 work on these kind these kinds of games because like there's definitely more um it has more of a it, 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 i imagine it feels more like it has a more tangible impact on 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 people's and specifically on people's education obviously but i mean like um uh, and maybe on people's lives as well cuz I, I i earlier you had said that like um you oftentimes would um help you know, get people enthusiastic about work by saying that you know we're trying to make something fun for people you're like developing something that will give people enjoyment but that it it sounds like that over time was not enough for you to continue um continue working yeah so so i i we started out with flash games right yeah and then we went into adver games mm-hmm. and actually there were there was uh i told them that i wouldn't work on this but they wanted to make made a camel cigarettes game oh <laughs> mm. and arcadium actually bought um adver advergames.com mm, mm-hmm. um, we made we made a corn pops game we made all kinds of things and sure um yeah I, I told them i refused to work on cigarettes or anything like that and they honored that so thank you arcadium <laughs> uh and then then i went through the whole phase of social games you know that's where candy crush came from and all of these games on facebook and that was this era in which games like Candy Crush were making a million dollars a day. You know, there was just crazy money flying around all over the place. And we were talking about, you know, ARPU and the stickiness of things. And at some point, and if you don't know, these these are all terms that you're like looking at your target users and you're trying to... Um, get find the whales you know if if mm-hmm. um you know all all of this stuff and you know in the back of my head I said, yeah we're providing fun but and then this there's this other voice that that i heard in my head that that was saying like well wait a second isn't stickiness isn't that isn't that like addiction mm-hmm. you know yeah now, what's the difference? don't get me wrong yeah. i love games <laughs> i grew up with games yeah. i made games before uh before video games i i had a, we had a whole wall it wasn't books it was just games board games and you know i begged my parents to get me a computer or or some sort of video game or something. They wouldn't get it. I made, I just made up all these games. Sure. I have this long history of, and love of games. I don't want to knock games at all, but, but there, I just feel like there's, there's a, there's a right way and a wrong way to do, to do games. Yeah. that stickiness that is like, is then that just addiction? And then you're like, well, isn't any game that invites you to come back? Isn't that on that slope? It's like, yes, but yeah. that's like, what is the point of it, right? Right. And if right. the point of it is just to come back a third time and a fourth time, yeah, then it, you know it starts to be different. Like that, I think when people use the word addicting when they talk about video games, they they think about it in terms of of like chemical addiction, yeah. And it there is there is that process that does actually happen. Mm-hmm. But I think like addiction itself is not by itself like the worst thing you can be addicted to something and it can be good because of the thing it provides you right yeah like it's just that the point is if you make something addicting and then it provides no value or or 
or does harm, mm -hmm. then the addiction is just services the harm. Right. And so I think people ha are, have a hard time with that conversation because they're like, well, if it's really fun and people want to play it, isn't that addicting? And what's the problem with that? Right. And it's like, well, actually, nothing is really wrong with that. But that's not you kind of have to step outside that argument a little bit, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, uh, if I'm understanding correctly, like some of it is also the intent, right? Like, like a lot of those Facebook uh, games, their intention was to keep you playing so they could um, exploit people financially in a lot of ways. Um, and I mean, I suppose a lot of some of the games that we develop now um, still do that, but like our intention isn't necessarily to like, you know, to get people addicted and keep playing a game. Lord knows I've played too much Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> but, like, it's more it's more so that, like, Super Smash Brothers is really fun and I enjoy it, but its intention is not to get me to keep playing it over and over again to the point where, I, you know, it's it's taken over parts of my life. Right, right. And, yeah, anything yeah. that's good for you can be bad for you. Yes. But I think it goes back to what you were saying, Will, at the top of the show, which is that, as you work on stuff like this, it can be easy to talk yourself into, right. like to justify any kind of design that leads to yeah. those things. Because the the language you use for it is like, well, if you really think about it, it actually is all fine. Mm -hmm. And like that sounds, from the outside, that sounds absolutely wild. Yeah. But from the inside, it you really can make it make sense, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it makes sense. You know, when you're close to something, it's harder to maybe to find the boundaries where those boundaries might look crystal clear if you're further away. That's true. Right. Um, and yeah, I, that does really resonate. I think in the way that I've played a lot of games, especially this year, I've been playing a lot of games with microtransactions and some of them have, I don't know if I was like a, like a blue whale, but I was definitely like, a, definitely in one of the whale species. <laughs> Uh, in terms of how much money I spent on some of those games, you know, yeah, like, yeah. and one of the things for me as a player that I always try to do is like, okay, be aware of the transaction and keep having that conversation with yourself. You know, is this value, is, is this an equal exchange of value or, you know, something that I feel is fair? It I, I'm not yeah. against microtransactions or anything. I love that. Right. Especially yeah. So much indie development, it, the, you know, the barrier of entry of making games has been lowered so much. Like mm. giving, sending those people some money, I think is, is okay. You know, it's, it's, it's a good thing. Um, but so the game that I had trouble with <laughs> was mm. civilization. Oh, I'm no. sure a lot of, <laughs> we talked about that on the show before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and you know there, there's chunks of my life i can't remember mm. honestly, yeah yeah you know? yeah and was i having fun yeah i was but but i was not i was not making things and i don't look back on that time as time well spent mm -hmm. you know yeah. i love i love things uh, there are people you know doing things like i love that how we games like would would remind you like hey maybe go out and take a walk <laughs> or yeah. the or the play cycle of um of some of those games was shorter. Yeah, mm -hmm. yep. you know, so introducing natural mm -hmm. like breakpoints, right. yeah. or 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 the dawning of location based games, like getting people outside and actually moving around for Pokemon Go, or honestly, uh, like geocaching, I think is an is an amazing game, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. that you know. Getting people out and like doing things, yeah. having experiences that might not be in the game while you're playing the game. 
Yeah, and it really comes down to like design motivation. So like a yeah. Wii game that tells you to take a break. It's like, well, why would they want you to stop playing? It's like, well, because engagement is not their goal. Right. They have your $60. They're, yeah. They're done with you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> nah, nah. So, like, so it just, it, that, doesn't, that doesn't harm the design. There's no barrier to putting something. That seems radical, but, like, it's actually fine just to, I mean, all they have to worry about is, is a bad review when someone says this game only, you know, I only put two hours in this game. It's not fun. Yeah. Like, that, but past that. Like, there's no reason a game should care how much you play it. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Civilization's a great example because it, it, it also has your $60. I mean, it, yeah. it has a DLC strategy, but uh, oh, yeah. let's set that aside for a second. Right, right. Because I, I actually think, like, that's not entirely motivating for the design. I think the designers really just do love that one more turn. They make jokes about it. They, mm. they, they talk about how addictive it is. And they feel comfortable doing that because they're not doing microtransactions. Yeah. As if that makes it okay. Yeah. Right, and it's just because we don't yeah. have a we don't have a a mature, a sophisticated enough understanding of this topic that we reduce it to well, does it hurt the pocketbook? Are you exploiting? So, like Ellen, you put a lot of money into microtransactions, but like whatever you you bought, you paid for some games. So, like you yeah. know, I I won't uh, pass judgment or let you off the hook, but like that alone <laughs> is not the metric by which you decide. Right. Whether you made a mistake or not, right. and it's not really, yeah. it's not really, it's not really like the burden of you. It's the burden of the game designer to to because it's not always the impact on a single player. It's on the player base, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. A designer would have to make you know consider the player base as a whole. As a player, you know, I don't regret that time. I don't regret that money spent. Mm-hmm. You know, when it stopped, just because I kept prompting myself to just be aware of what I was doing and make that choice not just once but like continually. Um, no, I just, I stopped when I felt like the, I, I was no longer like getting the exchange that I wanted and I stopped playing and it was fine and I have a great, mm-hmm. you know. But what a weird I, perverse thing for a game design to do is to force you to develop that discipline. What a weird thing. Yeah. Right. For, <laughs> to impose yeah. that yeah. on you as a player. Just so bizarre. Well, I'm curious because this so this is the interesting thing, right? Because mm-hmm. Will, like this dynamic is totally different when you're making educational games, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it a completely it's almost different set. Yeah. In a way. Because the challenge it, it is not hard to get someone to play, you know, all of these games we're talking about. Yeah. But with when you're trying to teach somebody something, when you're trying to teach somebody about opioid addiction. <laughs> <laughs> believe me there's a whole bunch of high school students that are like oh my gosh i have to click through this thing i have to do this oh. yeah just click 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 mm-hmm. you know uh and it's all about making this something that they want to learn about it's it's using those those things that i've learned in an almost i don't want to say an evil context but <laughs> but but uh the, those uh the skills that I learned and trying to to put them towards a good purpose of of you know making this relevant to them and engaging them right off the bat and making this something that you know they see as as something that affects them that that um, they want to learn about and they want to interact with and find out more information and that's the constant cha- challenge with a lot of these these things yeah. Yeah, and, and and that like the whole idea of gamification has kind of like a, a sour 
um, yeah. uh, impression a lot of people because it's like, oh, it's lying to people to tell to convince them something's more interesting than it actually is. Mm-hmm. Like that's how people think mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. But and that's the challenge, right? Is to like actually get people engaged, use the mechanics of play, and use some of those skills of 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 like you say that you know to, a, a useful shorthand in other evil evil contexts, uh, even if it's not fully fair. Um, using those. It, but, you know, it's like, well, I mean, isn't that just tricking people like any other game does? And, like, you kind of have to wrestle with that, right? Yeah. Like, and and because sometimes maybe that's the, what you should do, right? Because that, like, ends justifies the means sometimes. I mean, or maybe that's just, yeah. like, maybe that's just a bad strategy and any game it's that does that is destined to fail. Yeah. 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 Telling any kind of story it doesn't have to be a video game. It doesn't if you're telling a, making a TV show, if you're writing a book or anything, you want to hook them and engage them right off the bat, or they're not going to get to the end. Right. 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 Well, yeah, yeah, and and I think that like that's actually a good framing of it because I think that like um, ultimately people can get they can get a lot of understanding about yourself and other things through through narrative, through story, through storytelling, um, and so mm-hmm. like if um, if you frame it that way and that you're allowing players to tell a story that uh, lets them um, understand um, the message for them better, um, that's a good thing, I guess. And then, and that makes it, that makes it, that makes it more, that makes it more engaging for them, but it also makes, makes that lesson um, more personal and impactful for them. And it makes it easier to retain that knowledge down the line. Yeah. Right, you don't have knowledge. to. You don't have to. You don't have to like twist the topic. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, an easier said than done. Yes, right. But, but yeah, that's a <laughs> yes. great framing. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. So I like that. I like that storytelling. That's a good. That's a good. That's smart. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, because you know Hollywood has made all sorts of interesting stories about extremely boring things. Yes, right. It's kind of <laughs> yes. almost the point of of it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it's not all storytelling i guess i mean because there's one thing i realized is that there's something in educational games called check for understanding and Mm. you in order to uh see if your games are effective or not you have to have assessments and Mm. every educational company does assessments differently um measuring like how effective was this at actually teaching people anything um, and games like crosswords are actually a great check for understanding. It's a puzzle that you have to do and utilize knowledge in order to be successful at. So, you know, that that's not a storytelling thing, but it's a very engaging mechanic. At Arcadium, you know, we made, I made the crossword that is the number two, three, four, and five most popular online crosswords after the New York Times crossword. Um and it's always like one of the most popular games that online games that you can play um, is it, that people want to interact with. And really, it's just another way of assessing your knowledge of something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting that crosswords are that popular. I guess it makes sense because you like get like random little facts or you get to test your knowledge in a way that is 
almost meaningless. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll go to, I'll go to bat for crosswords. Oh, okay, okay. It's because I do the New York Times crossword okay. every day, and Fair I, enough. I solve yep. every Monday. Yeah, and I get close most of the rest of the week. <laughs> I'm not I'm not great at it, uh, but uh, I'm consistently not great at it. Yeah, but I like it because it's it is both trivia and deduction. Okay. In a way that very mm-hmm. few other games are, because you can yeah. solve a crossword only knowing three of the clues in the crossword. Yeah. Because just by slow deduction. Yeah. Um, that's not always the most ideal mm-hmm. way, but the mix of those things is so satisfying. Mm-hmm. And then also mm-hmm. because it it gamifies learning. Yeah. Now I know who won the 1976 tennis yeah. open or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't care, but like, <laughs> but now you know, yeah. yeah, right. But I know because I slowly filled in their letters from all the cross clues, right? Sure. Okay. It's, and that's kind of, yeah. I believe is why it's in, endured because that's it's right. in a very natural I, cross between those two different types of games and they interact in such a profound way. I think mm-hmm. that's another reason why I think it's a reason why, um, so I do the, the New York times mini crossword oh, every day. Um, and, uh, I always race Eric and he always beats me. Wow. Mm-hmm. Always, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, I think it's okay. Maybe I need to lean into that more. That's a different episode. Um, we'll put that on the Patreon. <laughs> Cross crossword therapy hour. Yeah. Um, but there's also a game that I play every day. Uh, in addition to Wordle, like there's the mini crossword, there's Wordle, and then there's this game called Connections, and Ooh, it's the yeah. same kind of thing. Like give you like these. Yeah, there's like 16 different squares. Each one has a word, and you've got to figure out the four groups of four. Um, and you know, you, the first one's so hard, um, but that last one is, it's just whatever the remainders are. And there is something really, really satisfying about progressively, like putting the pieces together. (laughs) That's funny because when it came out, one of the things about connections for, uh, folks who are familiar, the, the, the format is a, a direct lift from a British, uh, quiz show, um, called only connect. Um, which is something I'd been watching for a long time, and it and their version of it is monumentally difficult. It's like college level quiz bowl. Like if you watch an episode of this show, one of the charms of it is that you might get one question right, and it feels great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's that type of quiz show. Yeah. But their final round yeah. or, or what the uh, one of the rounds is that is that connections wall that they call it, which is the exact same thing. And what's so satisfying about it is the red herrings. So you have you have a, yeah. you have a category like oh I can these five things all fit together. Well, okay, now you can't click four of those five because you have a one in four chance of being correct, basically. And so, right. so you have to then set that aside and then see what which one of those is the red herring and also belongs to another group. And so mm-hmm. uh, um, that it does the same thing a crossword does, which is that it, it, it leverages your trivia and deduction. Um, and uh, yeah, I think people should definitely look up concept mapping for like a, a fuller uh, 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 or another way uh, into that concept and why it's so great um, rather than my pedestrian description of it. Um, but that's, I think that's, it, it is telling that multiple people can come to the same design. It's not that these things are solved problems, mm. but it's that there are tools to solve them that do exist. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys, did you did you see Will's cool shirts? I I did. I did pick peek at some of them. They were very fun. I did like <laughs> these designs are really cool. Yeah, they are. They're really different. So here's the goat doing Yoda, yeah. and then there's the there's the bee that's a, a zombie. Uh, it's an undead bee. Yeah. 
is this, is this is this going well we'll put that in the show notes yeah we'll put that in the show notes but yeah. as long as we're on the topic of t-shirts there it is right we got some too <laughs> we got a nice games club t-shirt it's so comfy and it's got a nice design too if i may say so myself i didn't design it that was mark but <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, bl- I'm blushing over here but yes it's nice <laughs> yeah it's a yeah. nice design it's I'm nice it. it's comfy um it comes in plenty of sizes it's easy to get you can just go on our our, our website uh nicegames.club slash shirt and you can check it out there um yeah, and you should, uh, you know, it's getting close to the holidays, too, so it, it might make a, new, a nice gift for someone. Yeah. If they're fans yeah, of the show. Yeah, nice shirt, nice shirt, nice gift, nice games club. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Is every game an educational game? Uh, yes. No. <laughs> in the broadest no, yes. sense, so does it teach you something? <laughs> what does it teach you? Yeah, yeah. In the broadest sense, it would teach all games teach you a thing. But does the... it? Does anything mean anything anymore? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think. <laughs> I think. Well... Teach you anything? I yeah. I, I guess. Like, I would argue that, like, the things that a game is teach. Ultimately, every game, uh, one of the goals is to teach you how to play the game. Um, so, but like that information to be able to play this game is not necessarily useful information. Right. And the skills you need to complete any game are skills you need to learn. Yeah. Or you already have, and you need to develop or practice. Right. And so that is definitely what, I mean, Ellen, you've talked about this a lot. There's a difference between like being good at a game and then being good at what a game teaches you. Yes. Right. And sometimes Mm -hmm. all it teaches you is how to play the game. Right. And that can still be satisfying or it can still be edifying or, or useful. I mean, in terms of like keeping your brain active Mm -hmm. or, or learning deduction or being able to spot patterns. Those are skills that are transferable. Yes. But they're abstracted. Right. Um, when you talk about educational games, the designer has a specific goal to impart education right. it was part of a specific thing right. and that on its own ellen you've said this a bunch of times is not always the easiest thing to do by itself because then you're just then it just becomes a quiz right you need to use right. the mechanics well, and those those kinds of game skills to then teach that and that's so challenging yeah it's it's hard to make uh i think it's hard to make um 
game mechanics. It, it's easy to make game mechanics that are basically oriented around quiz questions. But yeah, I guess when I when I said every game is educational, I think it's because I don't think we think about education the right way. Mm. Like we think we think about education as like this place that you you go to get it and then you're done. But the way that I think about education is you are graining the brain. You are changing your brain because you're taking in stuff and it's shaping the way that you, like your experiences shape the way that you perceive things. They shape the way that you make understanding out of the, your experiences. Yeah. And even if you're playing, you know, cookie clicker, that is doing something to your brain. And I think we should think about education more like that, mm-hmm. what we're doing to brains and it never stops. Um, and in that sense, yeah, every game is educational. It's just like it might not align with state standards. <laughs> I, I totally agree. And it's interesting yeah. you bring up Cookie Clicker. I was like, try to think of a game that's not educational. And uh, there's this great game called Stacks, which is basically a financial education cookie clicker. Mm. Love it. So you've got your, you put money in a savings account and it's earning interest, right? And you take that interest and you reinvest it. And then over time, you learn these different, different, just like, you know, in you, you build, I can't even remember, you get like bigger ovens or something in Cookie Clicker. Like you do things to, to make more cookies, right? Yeah. Yep. You learn about different investment mechanics that will make your balance of money grow faster in stacks. And it's exactly like Cookie Clicker, but you're learning about all of these different um investment vehicles and mm-hmm. things as, as you're doing it it's 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 really cool yeah that's like the the power of context mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, because you can a lot of complicated topics can be imparted by just assembling things people already know yeah right yeah the challenge for a game designer is what does that person already know and yeah. so yeah th- like you there's you could have a whole thing about assessing what they know and then using what they do and don't and then cobbling together the explanation but that's actually i mean that's a job for ai actually mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um but in in a sense but like it, it's it's how do you design something for the proverbial player rather than for a specific player because when it's the difference between tutoring and lecturing right yeah uh, and games are you know tend to only have the capacity for lecturing mm. at least my metaphor anyway sure, sure. than than individual tutoring right okay. Well, yeah, well, and and that that's interesting because that's something that's changing with AI. Mm-hmm. Yep, it'll be interesting having this conversation in a year. You know, oh gosh, yeah. I mean, just the the and and all I mean by that is like the ability to take in a lot of inputs and process them, right? Yeah. Which is just not something you yeah. can necessarily do with a simple, you know, uh, if else tree right Right, yeah Um, you need a really complicated one (laughs) that's all ai is Mm -hmm. right well and that's part of i think part of what happens there is also the game designers i mean this is all related right it might just be like two sides of the same coin but like one of the game designers i mean the game designers core job is to make the experience of putting the puzzle pieces together fun yeah right and um that is also very individual (laughs) So, like, what are people bringing into the game or to the, right. the learning game if it's a learn, you know, game made with that purpose? Yeah. But also, like, what do people find fun? We know that's not the same person to person. Like, look at the, look at your three co-hosts. 
<laughs> and that goes right back to the uh, the concept of gamification and why we've soured on it is because in order to reach all those people, you need to uh, go for the le- the least common denominator. Yeah. Right. Um, and that is doesn't feel that doesn't feel right all the time. Um, and it's not yeah. always effective if you're trying to do more than just get them to play or pay more. Right. Yes, there are still things. I mean, there are popular things that take off. Candy Crush capitalizes on people's desire to organize things. Mm-hmm. And Civilization capitalizes on, you know, these universal things that do try to cast as wide a net on uh, audiences as possible. Yeah. yeah. The one that I find but, that I find really surprising is um, Angry Birds. I think oh, people yeah. were surprised by the, the, the success of Angry Birds. But the truth is, is that humans love parabolas. Like they love they like that that the physics of throwing something and watching this set like that is a that is a core human instinct yeah and and something that like bringing that to a casual game I think people thought like oh that seems complicated because it's physics based that seems like something for gamers no 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 that's that's a core oh. human thing and I think it, it you See, know I thought the appeal came from humans like to smash <laughs> well, yeah. well Ellen likes to smash we know that much. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> and I think that is satisfying for a lot of people. But that's the the um, I think shooting a cannon at a, a a a tower is nowhere near as satisfying. I think. Good point. Mm. Isn't well, it well, interesting how, how game designers have, you know, uh, astronomers have discovered all these things about space, and uh, doctors have discovered all these things about the way the the body works, and. As a as like a side effect of being game designers, we're discovering all this stuff like humans love parabola. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and smashing things. And oh. humans love organizing things. Mm-hmm. That's all solitaire is and yeah. candy yeah. crush and all these you know, it it and humans love chance, you know, with bingo and slot machines and humans love all these things. And we've learned that through game design. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, because the context in which those things generally, like tidying up, does not seem like the foundation for a, a million-selling video game. Yeah, because the context we we you know grew up with of that is is in contexts that are not fun. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, that, that that the human need to organize is like, well, no, everyone's junk drawer is unorganized. How yeah. could it be true that humans love it so much? It's like, well, because the context is different. Mm-hmm. Right. And you, mm-hmm. yeah, you exactly right. Uh, the games teach game designers what those things are because they because you can yeah. play with the context yeah. in a way that you can't so much in real life i'm constantly surprised by all the th- the things that i like understand when i'm looking at like fancy like psychology papers or something like that i'm like i understood what this means it's because i've been working on games for so long <laughs> it's really fascinating yeah <laughs> i yeah. definitely wasn't educated in it but like it's just you, you start picking up on these kinds of things just because like you read articles or you know you observe players and 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 they teach you things about how your game works and you understand as a result what your game is doing to affect the players um like mm-hmm. it's 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 so cool yeah it's so cool <laughs> Is that maybe the sort of the key to unlocking that sort of like the 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 educational motive of a designer mm. is to shift context? Is when is that always successful, or does, do you, is there a point where it becomes too abstracted or confusing, or perhaps unpredictable for the designer to engage in? Like, how much do you want to ground some of that in sort of like role play or real things? 
um, versus like taking teaching a concept abstractly that can be applied to the real world. I'm asking you the two educators in the room because I have no idea. <laughs> I'm gonna leave this. I'm gonna give this one to Will. Curious. Can you word? Can you say that again? <laughs> well, okay. So that the power that like abstracting concepts has is that like the secret, um, or is it? Is there like a limit to that? Power that abstracting abstracting concepts is that the secret to what? To like to to successful uh, game design. To like if you want to teach somebody something. You you want to you don't just want to describe that you don't just want to Wikipedia at them you could you like show it in new context mm. so that they can understand yeah. it is that is is that always work does it always work no mm-hmm. absolutely not <laughs> Mark but Come but on. I think I think uh, I think you do need to have some of that I think mm. that that's what makes a good game design is that you lean into some of these archetypal human needs yeah I mean I. I can't speak as an educator, but I would imagine that if you um, if you change the context too much, people will get the wrong message from the thing you're trying to teach them. As a result, right? Yeah, that's an interesting point. I guess it's a, a how clear how wh- where you got to bring it home, yeah. right? Somehow, yeah. And at a certain point, you like that abstraction can obscure the message that you're trying to expound, right? Um, right. yeah. Yeah, I'm only thinking with this from a game design perspective because I've done that. You know, you'll teach it, you'll be like, "This is how you're supposed to play this game," and then people do the complete opposite or whatever, and you're like, "Why?" Of course, that's how they do it. <laughs> so <laughs> I imagine that's the same for like students, is they might approach um, um, something um, thinking one way and then getting the different message from what you were trying to teach them just due to yeah. the fact that like, well, the it's, a, it's another storytelling thing is like allegory is powerful, yes. but sometimes it's just more powerful to tell the story straight. Yep. Yep. You know, yep. Absolutely. Like, like couching it in so many metaphors can end up just being about itself at mm-hmm. a certain point. So there's perhaps a limit. I, I, I guess ultimately my question is, is like our games, the same thing or, or yeah. not. And I don't, I mean, I like to say that everything is everything on this mm-hmm. show, but mm-hmm. like, I don't know how there's a limit to that too, I suppose. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. I don't know either. <sighs> Teaching people is hard. <laughs> Ponder that one at home, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Making good games is hard. I mean, truly. You know, yeah. Trying to do both at the same time is like really hard. That should really just be our thesis statement for the entire program. Games are hard. Um, I guess it is. Yeah, I like how you said that as is, if we have not come to that conclusion a hundred times. We really have. We have definitely. But, you know, I will say I feel really good that Will said that because I I've, I've been, I say that all the time. It's like, okay, so game development is hard. Yep. Perspective client. And it's awesome that you want to do it. And you've never done it before. So I just want to tell you. <laughs> you're making it extra hard by adding an educational goal to it. Right, but right. we can oh do it. God. Um, yeah but it is uh, but it's rewarding yeah go ahead yeah i mean that's 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 one of the things about working at a company that's education first and game yeah interactive gamification whatever you want to call it yeah uh Mm -hmm. second Mm -hmm. is so the learning experience designers you know they are they're teachers they're sometimes classroom teachers and not game designers at all and they're like writing these treatises and like and all of these different concepts that you have to get across and me as a game designer and i'm sure all of you know that people don't read anything you have to teach this stuff without anybody reading anything right so how yeah. are you gonna how are you gonna teach this like 30 page pdf with all these facts and, and things like through and, and that i love that 
I know that I'm saying this is really hard, but I love a design challenge. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I find my work really engaging. Yeah. Um, I love, I think that 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 should be an exercise. Anyone who's sitting down and trying to make an educational game should start with that premise. How do I teach this PDF without making anybody read anything? Yeah. (laughs) You know, I think, you know, when we talk about, I made this realization at one point, uh, making educational games that simulations are the best way to learn anything, you know, to learn empathy with somebody else, to learn. I was on, I was on the TV and I was looking, I was like, well, they have games on Amazon prime and there was sim honeybee and I got to fly around. I was a honeybee. Hmm. <laughs> and, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Alona Umansky made this game Aiti, uh, where you you are this family in uh, Aiti, uh, and you it's a simulation of the family and trying to make ends meet. Um, so you understand just what you know these people are going through, and that like uh, people are making like these VR experiences um, of you know, there's this great one traveling while black about uh, the Green Book and, you know, traveling around in the South and, like, just putting yourself in those shoes of, of being somewhere else. And I really feel like we're not just through games, but through all kinds of different technology um, coming to a point where we can get closer to being somebody else and walking in their shoes than we have in a, in a long time. And that's like one of the most profound ways to teach somebody anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're here. So, Will, here's my last question for you. I want to know what advice you have for new graduates and, you know, younger professionals who are either they're leaving college with their game design degree or they're leaving high school going, what should I go to college for? And they're thinking game development or they're thinking game design. And they listen to this episode going, oh, okay, like, what? how do I even get into educational game design? Like, well, how do I know if that's the right fit for me? What advice do you have for those folks? Educational games specifically? Or Yeah, let's, let's, let's recruit. Let's, let's recruit, Will. Recruit. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I think it's really helpful to go into game design first. You, you yeah. should be a game designer first if you want to go into ed- educational games. Um, and th- I mean, that's, I've got a lot of pieces of it, pieces of advice. One of them is make games, make lots of games, make a bunch of games. <laughs> You'll start to understand, you know, what's fun, what's engaging and all those things that we were talking about, about, you know, these archetypal actions that people like to engage in that, that create that state of mind of play in people's heads. You know, that's, that's what we're all trying to tap into. Um, and you, there's no way to learn about it. No class that's going to teach you. You just need to make games. You know what? Screw video games. Make board games. Make games with your friends. When I was a kid, I made a game called Statue Store. <laughs> Where, you know, one person was the, the, the client and one person was... Uh, or the customer and one person was the shopkeeper and everyone else was all these crazy statues. And... The customer came in and 
when they did, all the statues came to life and it became this like crazy game of tag, but the statues had to act like the different things they were statues of. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, so just, you know, that's a way that you can make games really fast without even having any skills, <laughs> but, but just making games, I think is really important Yeah. Two, mm-hmm. make lots of contacts. Even if you, I don't, I've been in a position to hire people a bunch of times. I don't care anything about you. <laughs> um, uh, I'm waiting for the end except, of that sentence. <laughs> except like what you, you've done, what you can do. Um, that actually doesn't have anything to do with uh, uh, <laughs> making lots of contacts. What I meant by making lots of contacts, though, is that I, I've been able to hook people up through through classes that i've taught mm-hmm. um people you know that you that you know through doing a podcast or doing all kinds of things you never know where the next pivot and opportunity is going to come from yeah yeah three getting to the point of um that i was making before um have some way of sharing what you've done yeah so hmm. you know that 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 could just be an instagram account or it could be um, some, uh, you know, a link tree thing that you can send, send around, but you need some way to share what you're doing and, and, and what you've done with other people to, to get back to what I was saying. Like, I don't care anything about you. I don't care whether you've gone to school. I don't care anything. If your games are awesome and you've made really, really cool things, I'm going to hire you. If you can, if you can help me with what I am currently doing and, you know, anybody will. It's really interesting that you, those are the things you hit on because uh, Ellen asked about like young professionals and people getting out of school. And, but of course, you know, also folks who are changing careers, right? And for me personally, I made educational games before I made any other types of games when I was working in commercial video because we would, you know, because that was also the days when, you know, if you wanted flash work done, you went to a multimedia production house. You didn't always go to a game studio, right? And so that's how I started, you know, making a lot of flash games. And I was doing things on like, you know, uh, for like uh, Smokey the Bear campaigns or like workplace safety stuff and a lot, very traditional kind of sort of quiz style mini games and stuff, uh, uh, education. And so I had experience making those things, but I had none of the three things you're talking about, mm. right? I didn't, I didn't have like you know, uh, um, uh, a way to show those things because they weren't mine and uh, and they weren't also the thing I was doing for work. So I didn't save them probably the way I did the other stuff, right? I didn't have contacts because I wasn't, I was, I was in a different industry and um, I didn't have a lot of experience making games. I just made a bunch of these educational experiences. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, I mean, I didn't go this route, but I could have seen myself if I was interested in that thinking like, oh, maybe I should make a career out of this. But because mm-hmm. I'd had experience doing the thing, but, um, and there's probably other people out there like that. And so I think that that is very interesting that you say that those things are important because because it's obvious to me now, years and years later, but I would not have been that would not have been a successful career shift for me at that time, even though I was probably more more qualified to do that than you know what I ended up choosing my career to. Mm-hmm. So I think that's I think that's important for people to hear who have gotten a little taste of it and think it's interesting is that those fundamentals are important. And it's particularly like mm-hmm. make games that the game part is the most important part, not because it's the most important part of the ultimate work you do, but it's the most important part for you learning how to do that ultimate work, yeah. right? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, if you can if you can go right out of the bat and make educational games great for you, that's that's awesome. If if they're awesome, there's I just I say that because you have to build two things. You need to build your skill and your taste. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you build skill by doing something a whole bunch of times until you achieve mastery of it. And you achieve mm-hmm. taste by looking at and interacting with a whole bunch of things until you formulate an opinion about something. That's why both of those those actions are really important. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and in my case, I shortcutted a lot of that, so I don't think I had those things. But I, but at the time, I could have convinced myself I did. Yeah, sure. so this would have been good. Nobody for me has these yeah. things at yeah. first, for sure. Nobody, yeah. everybody is is on square one together. Yeah, you know, and uh, and we've all had to take our hits, you know, to get to where where we are now. And everybody has to take that same path. And some people, some people do have a more of a head start than others, and. Um, but there is nothing preventing and anybody from 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 eventually getting there if yeah. you work hard. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's nice to end on a positive note, mm-hmm. a hopeful, optimistic yeah. note. Yeah, which we which we, we sometimes we have a hard time with. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> because because why? Is it either a positive note? Because because I Cause make game, jokes sometimes. Because well, games are hard. Also, because games are hard. <laughs> oh yeah, because games are hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But not too hard, so keep trying. Not too hard to do, so do it. Yes. Right? <laughs> and just one more uh, positive yeah. note. Um, games can be a really powerful uh, tool for, for doing great, amazing things. Because games really are just a tool for unlocking that, that sense of play in your mind, which is a very mm-hmm. powerful state to be in. And uh, uh, And we are not just in demand as game designers, but you know it's a it's a really fundamental uh, important role that that we are are filling by by engaging this in people yeah yeah absolutely more positivity I like it that sounds like <laughs> that sounds like a topic we might need to follow up on next season of the podcast um how games change your brain sure that'll have to be for another another day because that's our show you can find Will online at Instagram at WBreadBook. We will put that link in the show notes. For other notes and links from today's conversation, you can go to our website, nicegames.club. Visit us on social media at Nice Games Club, where Dale posts about game dev resources and the Normandy SR0 in Starfield. Of course she would. Reply on the... <laughs> yep. Reply on the various platforms or email us, contact at nicegames.club. Nice Games Club is on Patreon. Support the show and get stuff, including ad-free episodes. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. I'm really struggling with the pronunciation today. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. And if you want to keep things more casual, just stop by nicegames.club slash discord and say hello. Next week, we'll be looking at our nicest of 2023. That's it for this week. So, until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice.
nice gift for someone. Yeah. If they're fans yeah, of the show. Nice shirt. Yeah. Nice shirt. Nice gift. Nice games club. <laughs> Dang, that's a great look. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. What were you gonna say? That's fine. I'll just we'll just cut out my cut out my channel so I'm not interrupting you. Um, <laughs> okay. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.